So just why are you in sales? Do you have a good answer? We're going to try and come up with one today on The Buyer's Mind. Welcome to The Buyer's Mind, where we take a closer look deep inside your customer's decision-making mechanism to reverse engineer the perfect sales presentation. Now, please welcome your host, Jeff Shore. Welcome everyone once again to another episode of The Buyer's Mind, where we investigate just what's going on in the brain of people who are thinking about making a purchase decision. We like to look at all things sales here because if we understand the way that a customer wants to buy, well, then we can figure out how we want to sell to them. And I'm joined as always by our show producer, uh, Paul Murphy. Uh, hey, Murph, I, I got a question. I've not prepped you for this, so I, I have no idea where this is going to go. But here you go, Murph. Are, are you ready? You ready for this? As ready as I can be. <laughs> okay, here we go. Uh, why do you do what you do? Well, I, I do it because I love it and uh, mm -hmm. I'm good at it. And uh, yeah. if I didn't do this, uh, I guess I'd be flipping hamburgers somewhere because I don't have a lot of other skills. <laughs> it's interesting how the question, that very question sort of keeps, uh, catches us off guard, doesn't it? I, I, I didn't tell you that that's the question I was going to ask you, but it's, it's a question that uh, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth here, Murph, but it's a question that we look at and we go, I think I'm supposed to have a profound answer, but if I want to be totally honest, I don't spend a lot of time sitting around thinking about it. Usually not, but uh, because we had Cal Newport on, I went back and was reading his book, uh, So Good They Can't uh, Ignore You, and uh, it's given me yeah. a lot of thought about uh, what I do. So other than well, that, you uh, you're right. You're right. Yeah. Good for you. Uh, look, it's it's not about coming up with uh, a, a personal mission statement that you're never going to revisit. That That's not what we're talking about here. But there is something about having that internally centered focus point, that that true north, that guiding principle that answers the question, why exactly do I do what I do? And successful people, especially successful sales professionals, they have a strong sense of the why. The why of what they do, it motivates, it encourages, it directs, it sustains. So imagine if your boss handed you a brick and said, your job today is to carry this brick across town and back. You have five hours to do it. But let's also assume that your boss gave you no reason why you should do this, no context, no motivation, just carry the brick from one end of town to the other. Now, what, what happened? When others give us a lack of clarity as to why we should do something, we complain, right? Right? We get a sort of all out of sorts of, I'm doing something, I don't understand why I'm doing it. But do we complain about a lack of inner clarity? In other words, are you as hard on yourself as you are on others around you when it comes to the motivation and why we do things? We're going to talk today to a senior executive and get her view on sales. That's really why I wanted to talk to her. But she's going to take it in an unexpected direction. She's going to talk about sales motivation. And stick around because after the discussion here, I want to make some suggestions as to what we do with that and how we center ourselves around what matters most, why we do what we do. 
All right. Well, this this is going to be fun. Um, you know, what we look at sales, we think about sales on the from the frontline perspective, what frontline salespeople do, uh, and then we'll look at sales executives, those who manage salespeople. But what are the top executives thinking? What are they thinking about sales? What are they thinking about salespeople? And we have the opportunity to talk to one of the greats. But what's fantastic here is that we'll talk to somebody who is a top-ranking executive today in her organization, but she's done it all. She has been in that role of a sales manager. She has been a, a division president for a home building company. Uh, she's worked in the senior levels of home builders where she is uh, right now. And uh, it's just a, a really, really great thinker who just totally gets it. And I'm thrilled to have her on the buyer's mind. Please welcome Liesl Cooper. Liesl, how are you? Jeff, what a great intro. I'm terrific. Happy sales day to you. Every day's a sales day. So I'm super excited to be here and share my thoughts on uh, on sales because it's what, you know, it, it's what, you know, to me, it's what makes the world go round, especially in, uh, in most of our, most of our companies. So I'm super excited to be here. Thank you. So let's let's just get right into that from that perspective, Liesl, because you say it's this, it's what makes the world go round, right? From the the perspective of business, nothing happens until something sells something. So we all get that, and yet as an executive, you are pulled in so many different directions, right? You've always got issues with acquisitions and purchase and and uh, budgets and warranty claims and everything else. Uh, it's one thing to say that sales make everything go, and it does. But how do you stay focused on that in light of everything else that you have to do? Well, you know, there's a lot of different ways you can do it. And, and I have done it for, for a few years now. I don't want to say how many because it will give a lot of things away. But I've been in, the, in doing sales um, for many, many years. And I think the biggest thing is, is that you've got to be disciplined to keep the focus. You have to be disciplined to say, because you can go literally days, especially in a top level management position, you can go days without kind of, you know, you know, if you're not the VP of sales that you don't hear about it. And mm-hmm. um, one thing that I implemented in a division of mine, um, and I'm trying, I do it in all my other divisions now or try to, is that I actually had a sales ticker to where like every time there was a sale, the salesperson shouts it out. One, mm-hmm. it fires everybody up. And two, it kind of reminds me. So like on a Saturday afternoon, I'll look down at my phone. I'm like, it's three o'clock. I haven't seen a sales come across. So mm-hmm. it just this is just a way to keep it a reminder on how to make sure that you're still thinking about sales. Yeah, there's a real cultural statement that you just made there because you you can look at it. I think a lot of executives, if they're not careful, they came out of a finance background, operations background, whatever it is, and sales is almost like the the necessary evil that you have to put up with in order to get your job done. But what you're just describing right there is the idea that everybody in the organization should understand this concept that nothing happens until somebody makes a sale. Absolutely. And so so the ticker was implemented for that reason so that everyone could kind of see, first of all, it gets the salespeople excited to say, hey, I got a sale. And all they're doing is saying, I have a sale. Here's the lot number. Here's when it's closing. You know, very brief. And it's sent out to the whole entire team. And basically, um, usually the sales manager will, will kick back saying congratulations or say something fun just to keep it fun and exciting. And And sales are seven days a week. And so it's great because we can see them on different days and everything else. I mean, you know, the other day we had seven sales on a Tuesday. I'm like, God, I love Tuesdays, you know? And so it can kind of, it just keeps you kind of focused. And then, like I said, on the weekends, when I don't see something come through or sales aren't coming through, I'll jokingly text my sales managers, hey, is the ticker broken? Are the sales offices closed? Did I miss something? Mm-hmm. And so right. it just keeps me engaged with them 
to keep, you know, to keep to making sure that everyone understands how important sales are. And so if they're having a good week or a good day or a bad day, you know, they kind of hear from me on it. But right. it really takes the discipline of a leader to make sure that sales are happening and make sure that the organization, not just in my role, but that everybody else in the organization realizes that if there's a salesperson can't make a sale because they don't have the right pricing, because mm-hmm. a sign's not up, because, you know, they, they can't get in their models for whatever reason. I mean, anything whatsoever. If there's something not perfect that a salesperson can't make a sale because of different people in the organization, everyone's got to be keenly aware of that. And we make it mm-hmm. clear in the organization from top to bottom that if the salespeople don't have the right tools, we're not going to be the organization we want to be in the sales that we need to get. Part of that is going to come down to making sure just that the priorities are straight, right? There's at any given organization, we have to look at it and say, what is the one thing? If at any given time, I've got to be able to measure it and say, okay, I got 18 things that I got to do. I got 25 people who are screaming for my attention. At any given time, I got to measure and say, what matters most? Is it, I don't want to put words in your mouth. Is it, is it a fair assumption to say that you would say, well, sales always matters most. It has to. Yes, I would say that. And I think the way that I show it or that I show it with folks is so, you know, you have to have meetings. They suck the life out of people, but you have to have meetings. Everyone has to come together to talk about different things in organization, whether it's a new product, whether it's new, you know, whatever it may be that you're doing, you have to talk about what's going on on a weekly basis, sometimes on specific meetings. So what I do is when people get to keep their phones in the meetings, but the only time they ever get to answer the phone is if it's a salesperson. And it's not always, remember, the sales managers that are dealing with salesperson. Sometimes it's a construction. Sometimes, you know, it could be anybody in the team. It could be a product development guy. It could be a permit person. It could be anyone in the organization. And what I say is, if the phone rings and it's a salesperson, you are to answer it. And Mm -hmm. so that's how I make it everyone keenly aware that you've got all these priorities. But if you have a salesperson that's on the front line trying to make a sale, which is the most one of the most important things in the organization, we need to drop whatever we can and everything for them. Mm-hmm. And so that's where I think it's the, it's just, and, and listen, it's, it's just basically we shut down, we let the person answer the phone call, we figure it out, and then we all move on. And that's mm-hmm. the only time when it's really important for people to stop what they're doing in a meeting to be able to answer someone that's on the front line and trying to make a sale. I worked for an organization that, um, shall we say, did not have uh, customer care at the top of its list of priorities. And uh, it's, I think that organization has changed now, by the way, but at the time it was just, it was very, very evident. And so what happened for me is over time, the only time I ever talked to customers is when they were ticked off. And then after a while, I just got into this habit of not wanting to talk to customers because every time I did, well, frankly, it just gave me a headache. So what do you do to stay? Because you have, you've got to deal with this. Sometimes customers are not happy and they get through to you. What do you do to stay connected to the voice of the customer and uh, make sure that you're not only talking to people who are just not pleased? Well, I think the biggest thing is, is that um, I make sure, first of all, and I try to make sure my folks have their cell phone numbers on their emails, on everything. There's just no reason why people cannot get a hold of us. And I never want to hear that. No, you know, I couldn't get a hold of this person for this amount of time or whatever, what have you. And because we make it very abundantly clear that if there's a customer that's either unhappy, happy, whatever, that they need, we need to be able to get a hold of them. 
but really to stay in touch and to, to make it that you're not only hearing the bad stuff by emails or by phone calls that it's all, you know, people that are unhappy is you got to spend time in the environment where the sales are happening. So whether it be a, you know, a store, whether it be, you know, sales offices, wherever your wherever the customers are, you can learn a lot. And it happened to me two weeks ago. I went out to the field and I went and I went to one of my sales centers and I was talking to my salesperson and I walked inside a house and I was hearing things from the salespeople, you know, and sometimes you're like, Oh, the salespeople want, you know, X, Y, Z, they always want it their way, you know, and they wanted to change some things that I wasn't sure that I agreed with. And then I walked to the models and I started talking and this is, this is in one of our sales centers and I just started talking to the customer and I got tremendous feedback and there was mm -hmm. customers there that were literally going to write. There's another set of customers that were literally going to write, um, uh, we're going to buy uh, a home that we were trying to sell and that night and they just had a couple of questions and I could see, I could see a customer from their view instead of being always from our view or even our salespeople's view. You get such a different perspective when you actually get out and talk to customers. Plus you feel really good about, you know, what we're trying to accomplish and what we're trying to do. And, um, and so I think it's really important because we do a lot of times hear from not the, not the so happy folks that we have, and we, you have to really get in front of your customers to, to hear them directly from them. And you can learn a lot. It can also reiterate or it can also change what, you know, what, what's being told to you by your managers. And it can get lost in translation, really what's going on in the, in the field and in the front lines with your sales folks until it gets to me. So being out there, I think is really, really important. Let's talk about salespeople here. You've been in this business a long time. You have seen some of the great ones. You've seen some of the very much not so great ones. So uh, how do you separate that out? What do you look for in a great salesperson? And then we'll get to uh, what you find irritating in a not so great salesperson. Well, I think um, great salespeople, you know, it's funny when I, when you say what's a great salesperson, what clicks in my mind are, are a couple there's people that come to my mind, right? And, and people that come to my mind, some have been in the business for 20 plus years. Some have been selling, selling for, they're like rookies. They're one year, but yet they're still both great salespeople. So it really is a mindset. And I think it's really about what, you know, what is their motivation for wanting to do this? And, and I think that's one thing that we lose sometimes as management is getting to the motivation of who, what the salesperson wants. And sometimes when you can dig deeper to what they want, and we've done these things where it's like, put your personal goals together, but really understanding, you know, okay, well, Bill Williams is, it's really important for him because he wants to put his son in college and that's what his motivation is. And so you have to find out what their kind of motivations are. And mm -hmm. um, I mean, it's amazing to me that, um, you know, you, like I said, I, you have the rookies and you have the guys who've been around 20, 30 years and, you know, on both sides of it, they can be really great or not so great. The rookie just doesn't sometimes know any better. And, and that, that newness and freshness, I just love because they are just um, a sponge and they just want to, they're just motivated by winning. And mm -hmm. the other guy is, I mean, and my sales have been around for a long time is they're just as competitive as that rookie. Right. And they, they are the competitiveness and the nature of, you know, getting the sale and making a lot of money is great, but there's also some other things that push them to be better. And so, um, so I really, listen, it's, it's, really depends on what the motivation is for that salesperson. What are they trying to achieve in their life and the, for their families? Um, and then for the, you know, just really for themselves. 
Um, I hope that makes sense. When you see salespeople yeah. that aren't thrilling you, what are there common characteristics of salespeople that you look and you go, oh, no, thank you? Some of the common characteristics is um, where they they don't take ownership. They don't take accountability. I mean, listen, the best salespeople can sell anything. They mm-hmm. literally can sell anything. You put something in front of them and they can sell it. And, you know, some people come to my mind when I think about it. We've got, I've got a gal named Maggie. And literally, you just have to, like, put Maggie in front of, you know, put her anywhere and she can just sell. She's just that. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter if it's a, you know, a expensive product, not as expensive product. She just can sell. And it's because she is, that she, that's just, she puts it in her mind and she just does it. Where the other, where the, where the ones that really drive me crazy are is that you have to like lay it out perfectly to where someone's literally going to come in and just hand them a check. They don't want to work mm-hmm. for it. They want to, they want to complain that, well, I had 10 traffic, but they were all looky-loos. And they, they just don't have the, the fire in the belly, um, you know, to where they want to just fight each time when somebody comes in. And the ones who actually kind of make it a game are the ones that impress me even better. So I see the ones that just, you know, somebody comes in and they just, you know, are they, are they interested? Is it worth, are they worthy of my time? Where mm-hmm. the flip side of it, the good ones, they come in and they say, I'm going to sell this person a house. There's a reason mm-hmm. they're here on a Tuesday afternoon. I'm going to sell them a house. And they do everything right. they can to do it. And so that's yeah. the, the, the thing really is, is just, um, it's just really lack of motivation. I think motivation mm-hmm. could go both ways. What are they, what, why they want to be there? And, and the lack of it is really what I think hurts them. And, um, you know, it's just, it's just, it's tough when you, you don't have that motivation. Right, right, right. Let's talk about your motivation uh, for a moment. And just in regards to what fires you up, because I I just, you are one of the most um, extraordinary people that I've ever met when it comes to achievement drive. There is just, and some people say, you know, are you competitive? But it's more than, it's not just, am I competitive? It's a sense of like, I just, have to win. I just have to. It, that's how I see you. Do do you see yourself the same way? You know, I think that um, it's funny when we talk about what what are great salespeople. You know, and and I said it's their motivation. Really, what's behind their motivation? And I think that's what it is with me. Is that you know I had different factors of motivation, and you know I didn't graduate college, and so you know here I am. What? How many years later that you know I should have graduated college, and it really doesn't matter. Um, that was a motivation. I mean, it's just it's just a drive that you have that you just you kind of want to win. You're right. I mean, that's my motivation is that I just always want to win, and it doesn't matter. Um, and it's not about like smashing the person next to me because I love competitiveness. I have my bestest friends are in, in the industry that I'm in. And, and so I, I cheer for them too, but it's just, for me, it's just about um, being able to go, you know, go home at night and, and, and be able to say, you know, this is what I achieved. This is what I've done and be proud of that fact and have your family be proud of you. And just, just be able to say like, I was able to accomplish this and I was able, and and what's so amazing is that I try to tell younger folks coming up through the ranks and, you know, it's like when I, you know, I mean, seriously, when I was getting in this business and, and trying to do what I was trying to do, it was all about like, I never said no. I just said, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And and now I see people who want to, you know, go ahead in the ranks, but they don't want to put the work into it. And mm. that's where I think the mistake is, is that that really all good things really take hard work. And, um, and that's really where it comes from with me is that I just, um, 
you know, you got to love what you do and I love what I do. And then I just want to be the best at it I possibly can be. And that's really what still drives me. And years and years later, I'm still as driven as I was when I was younger. Um, maybe yeah, my motivations are maybe my motivations are a little different, but overall, mm-hmm. I'm still very much driven as I was. But that's that achievement drive piece that defines who we are. And I mean, I, I know you came up. You your your first job uh, in in the industry was uh, just you were pushing papers. I mean, that's really what you were doing. And and you went into a, a marketing coordination role, and then you went to a sales leadership role, and then before you knew, it, you were running a division, and then running an entire operation. It's a really, really a great uh, story and a great journey. But it's it sounds like there's a that that sense of okay, there's the that extraordinarily high achievement drive, but you were also, if you've got that achievement drive, there's a work ethic that goes into it. But you said something else, and that was that passion, uh, that, that you really enjoy uh, what it is uh, that you do. If you looked at those three things, if I looked at my achievement drive, my work ethic, and my enjoyment of what it is that I do, would you put those three things on equal footing, or does one stand out more than the other? Um, I think that, uh, the achievement happens when you have the work and the passion. So I think the work mm-hmm. and the passion, the work ethic, um, cause you, you know, work ethic is hard to teach and train and the passion is what kind of gave me the work ethic. So if I had to align them, um, I mean, just the passion is what fueled my work ethic. It's just, mm-hmm. I loved it. So when yeah. you love when you really enjoy something so much and then you get the achievement out of that's just the the bonus the, the achievements of what I was able to do were kind of like the 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 nuggets that you would get along the way and fortunately I never um got I, still to this day I'm still pushing for that um because I just love it so much so mm-hmm. I would say that passion and what loving what you do really drives the other things but work ethic is very important. I, I believe it's very important. Uh, yeah, I, I, I can see where, well, listen, you can be very, very passionate. We've, you and I have seen this in salespeople over the years, people who are very passionate, but not willing to put in the work. And it's a recipe for, for frustration because you look and you go, oh, dude, you have so much untapped p- potential that you're never, ever going to find. But on the other hand, when you see the passion and the work ethic, uh, boy, you see that in your own family, right? I mean, when yeah, you look at the right. accomplishments of Finn on a horse, uh, yeah. you know, that, that was only going to happen because she apparently inherited that from you, that combination of passion and work ethic. That's right. And you know what? And and that's true. It's like with your own kids, you know, and she, you know, she rides horses, as you mentioned, and there's only one time in uh, what, 11 years that she's been riding that she ever didn't want to go to ride her horse because she wasn't feeling well. And she went anyways and made it through most of the lesson, not all of it. But my point mm-hmm. is, is that because she loves it so much, she's willing mm-hmm. to put in the work. And yeah. that's really what it takes to get the achievements that, you know, if you really want them, that's what it takes. All right. Hey, we're just about out of time. But before we go, we're going to put you on the hot hot seat. Some rapid fire questions, rapid fire answers. You ready? Yep. There we go. Your very first job was what? Washing dishes at a restaurant. Love it. Uh, an album from your youth that you listened to over and over again. Um, <laughs> then this one. I should move because I listen to 80s on Sirius. Um, well, <laughs> I, you know what? Uh, English beat. I don't know what that is. English Beat is a group. It's a rock group, a band. All right. All right. I'll take your word for it. Google it. 
Okay, I'll Google it. Uh, the most beautiful place you've ever stood? Uh, Portofino, Italy, or Lake Como. Sorry, Italy. Mm -hmm. Can't. I can't argue either way. Uh, I'm I'm sitting here at looking at my screenshot, which is taken from the apartment we had in Lake Como, looking out of the lake. It was amazing. Um, a movie you've seen multiple times, but it doesn't matter when it comes on. You need to watch it again. Um, the first thing that came to my mind was my best friend's wedding. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> okay, that's fine. All right. And uh, the name of your first celebrity crush. Oh, God, this is horrible. Andy Gibb. Oh, Andy wow. Gibb. Yeah. Well, it's hard to argue with that one. All right. You're off the hot seat. Uh, Lisa Cooper, just fantastic. It's so helpful to us to be able to get a, a peek into the brain of an executive who has so many different things on her mind and yet needs to find some way to stay focused on those things that really, really matter. Uh, that was really, really inspirational. Thanks for uh, taking the time to be on The Buyer's Mind. Jeff, thanks for having me. Have a great afternoon. All right, Murph. Uh, Liesl, she's a, a, a great energy, isn't she? She's fun to talk to. Very sharp, lots of energy, uh, but that's a, you have to have that to be in the position she's in. Yeah, I guess you have to have intensity to do what it is that she does. I certainly understand that. But were you surprised by how much she headed in the direction of motivation and making sure that, that uh, uh, people really understand the why of what they want to do? I guess I wasn't surprised, um, you know, knowing uh, what it is she does. But, uh, yeah, it's one of those insights where when somebody uh, in, in her position and the, the people that she leads uh, to know what the heart of her uh, desires are for her team. But she's a winner, right? Now, you and I have talked about this and we've talked about it with our guests, that critical aspect called achievement drive. And it's interesting with Liesl because she has to win. Right, Murph, you, you get that sense that she has to win. I do. I do. But she also has to enjoy what she's doing. And I find that really interesting that it's not winning at all costs, especially the cost of not enjoying her own life. She wants to win, but she wants to enjoy the race. It's not just about winning the race. It's enjoying the race along the way. And I think she's got that part figured out. Uh, I, I love the conversation. I, I just love getting into this topic about motivation. And I'm going to ask you, the salesperson right now, the sales professional who's listening right now, to consider doing a little bit of homework around the idea of motivation. And it has to do with asking you to clarify your why. Why do you do what you do? You see, when your why is really clear, there are a host of awesome benefits that go along with that. You feel better about what you do. You have more energy to do it. It's easier to deal with the stress and problems that are inevitably going to come in the way. You get career advancement because you can prove your focus. You have better service to your customers. And ultimately, you get more sales. When you clarify the why. When my why is very clear, then at any given time, I can ask myself, is my energy right now being directed in supporting that why? And I'm going to give you a little exercise right now that will help you to be able to dive deeper into understanding your own why. So take a piece of paper, and this is what I want you to do. I want you to write this down. And you're, when, I, when I say blank, you're just going to draw a little line that you're going to be able to fill in the blank. Okay? It, and, and this is what I want you to write. Just this, this is one sentence. I sell blank so that blank so that blank. That's the sentence. And you're going to fill in the blanks. 
I sell blank, so that blank, so that blank. Now, let me, let me walk you through it because I know it sounds confusing, but here we go. I sell what? And I'm going to ask you to define whatever you're going to put in that first blank. Define it by the solution. Don't say, I sell cars. That's just the product. But you might sell transportation freedom. Don't say homes. That's just a building. But you might say places for people to live. And don't, sell, don't say jewelry. It's a commodity. But you might say personal adornments. I want you to get creative with what you really sell and think about it in the terms of the solution to the problem. That's where we want to look. Okay, so we start by deci deciding what really do I sell? What solution do I sell? And then you have two so that statements, and this is where the magic happens. The first so that, you're going to fill in that blank after the first so that, and it's going to help you to clarify the importance of what you sell. And the second so that blank is going to help you to clarify the significance of what you sell. So, for example, your job is to sell homes. What would this statement sound like? I sell places for people to live so that they are comfortable and happy so that they can live their best possible lives. There's a maximization to that to help people to live their best possible lives. Or if you think, okay, my job is to sell cars. I sell transportation freedom so that people can get to important places in their lives so that they can then make an impact on the world. Whether they're going to their job or their school or to spend time with their kids, whatever, their, their church, or a social function, they're just trying to make a positive impact on the world. In other words, take the opportunity to elevate what it is that you do. Now, I had an opportunity, to, I was talking to a salesperson not that long ago, and, and uh, this person had read a couple of my books and, and, was, uh, and they had some very, very nice things to say about the work that I've done. Extremely, it's humbling, it's appreciated. I, I really, really did. Uh, but they never said that they were a salesperson. So I said, so now what do you do? And what I was really asking them was, what line of work are you in? I figured they were a salesperson, but, but what I said was, so what do you do? And this was the response. Oh, I, I'm just a salesperson. And I'm going to tell you right now, that response ticked me off. That response really bothered me. So I just put the brakes and had a conversation, this person who's newer to the industry. And I said, please, please, please do not ever uh, devalue what we do in the sales world and the way that we change people's life. You are not just a salesperson. You are out there having a profound impact. Now, if you don't believe that you can have a profound impact on somebody's life, then you should go do something else. But what you really should do is be the salesperson who is proud to have a positive impact on people's lives. Now, how could we get around that? Well, for this particular individual, clarify your why. Why do you do what you do? I sell this so that that, so that this over here. That's where the magic happens. When you center that, it changes everything. You'll feel better about what you do. You'll have more energy to do it. It's easier to deal with the stress. You'll have career advancement, better service, and ultimately more sales. Take a few moments to ask yourself the question, why are you in sales? Why do you do what you do? Because at the end of the day, you know why you do what you do to change 
people's world. 